Wishing you a very happy life day from your friends at Pop Culture Reference. I'm full of the holiday spirit, you know? It's it's really that time to, to think about your weird crystals and strange orbs of light, and it feels good. James, how many TVs do you have on simultaneously in your house right now? All 15 <laughs> weird TVs? Like, oh my god. As is tradition. As is tradition. Well, let's start out with a bit of good news this week. I know that America's been living in fear for quite some time now, and we just need a little bit of stability, but fear not, the good people of New York City, for Rick Moranis' attacker has been brought to justice and has been taken into custody by the NYPD. Finally, Rick Moranis' all over the world can rest easy. <laughs> I'm very happy to hear this, man. I thought about this the other day. It was such a bummer, and I... I guess I kind of assumed it was going to be one of those, you know, random crimes that never really gets taken care of, but I'm glad, I'm glad. All you have to do to get your random assaulter brought to justice in New York City is be Rick Moranis. And who better to bring indiscriminate attacker to justice than our hero from our next bit of news? Uh, It's in the works. There's talk of a Darkwing Duck reboot possible spinoff coming to Disney+. Plus. I don't think that's really surprising at this point. I know DuckTales has been doing some Darkwing Duck stuff. Oh yeah, they've been laying the groundwork for like a couple of years now. I am like supremely uneducated about Darkwing Duck besides the fact that it's like a Batman analog to a duck character. You got it. <laughs> I'm caught up for the new uh the new series coming to Disney Plus. Interesting little tidbit. They're in talks to be executive produced by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's uh, production company, the same company as Double. Very interesting indeed. Whoa. Interesting. We'll see how many faces Darkwing Duck caves in. <laughs> They're also working on that Invincible show for Amazon, so they've really got this little superhero market covered right now. And speaking of the boys, that also has its own spinoff coming soon. How are they going to yeah, spin wait, wait, wait. that off? It seems so irreverent and strange to begin with do we know any details about what this is going to be set at america's only college exclusively for young adult superheroes and run by vaude international <laughs> the united boys spinoff is described as an irreverent r-rated series that explores the lives of hormonal competitive soups as they put their physical sexual and moral boundaries to the test competing for the best contracts in the city part college show part hunger games with all the heart satire and raunch of the boys fascinating i need my the boys itch scratched so i think this is gonna be very fun here's some news that seems specifically tailored to our interests abc is (laughs) developing a sitcom starring alec baldwin and kelsey Grammer. what a power duo holy crap any word on what it's about are they brothers not yet (laughs) but have mercy on the poor production assistants working this show because oh my oh, god no. <laughs> we are gonna get horror stories from this jesus uh, two of the most notoriously difficult leading men on television are combining forces like a scary voltron full of rage and set storm offs will be eagerly anticipating its arrival other tv news conan o'brien is leaving tbs at the end of 2021 and moving to an exclusive series on HBO Max, which is probably where Conan belongs anyway. Yeah, I can agree with that. 
how long has he been on TBS? It's been like eight years, I want to say. I mean, ever since NBC did him dirty, that's yeah, where huh, that was... he went. And it'll be nice to finally see Conan with, I think, a network that is interested in backing him as a brand. Obviously, he takes over Comic-Con every year and that kind of stuff. But with HBO's money and, I'm assuming, faith in him, I think he could do a lot of really interesting things that he wasn't allowed to do before. His Conan Without Borders series, when we can like actually travel again, I think they can really lean into that because that was a really popular segment that they did that they kind of spun it off into its own section on like Netflix and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to bring up that Conan Without Borders stuff too and how maybe this transition to streaming will lend itself to more of like that John Oliver last week tonight vibe pushing the envelope a little more than maybe what TBS would have allowed. And then in other HBO Max news, Wonder Woman 1984, while still honoring its theatrical release for Christmas, wherever theaters are still open, will also be coming to HBO Max on December 25th. So I'm guessing we'll probably bump Soul a week to focus on Wonder Woman right after Christmas. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm down for that. I'm pretty happy with this news. You know, Wonder Woman was one of the only, one of the only great DC. I know I got some flack for not bringing up Shazam the last time I I talked some smack about the DC universe, but I'm glad that we won't really have to wait for a very lame theatrical run before we get to actually watch it streaming. And as far as I read, there's no premium price tag or anything for extra on that no they were very adamant that it was at no extra cost to subscribers staring daggers at disney plus (laughs) while they did it (laughs) it is definitely a call to war against disney plus both in that they have so pointedly said that in their marketing and that they're releasing the same day as disney's big straight to streaming release oh that's right but yeah i'm excited to check it out yeah I'm, i'm into it let's let's get it going up next John M. Chu cannot stop getting hired to direct things because he's working for Disney on a live-action Lilo and Stitch movie. Oh, boy. (laughs) That's going to be the weirdest live-action adaptation, I think. I hate it so much. It's it's gonna be a mess. It's only imagine Stitch is gonna be horrifying I mean, to look right? at. I feel like I've seen concepts for a live action remake where Stitch would be a actual monster and like it, it turns into more of a horror tone and but there's no way they're not gonna try to do it like Detective Pikachu style, maybe, where they try to make it as cute as possible. I mean, why mess with perfection? Lilo and yeah, Stitch right? is one of the best Disney movies period money they're gonna be making that buck and that's the only thing that matters but maybe it'll be the live action remake that makes us all eat our words who knows may that day never come Seamus (laughs) yeah really we got a Tom and Jerry trailer that looks like a movie it certainly does yeah look like a movie I don't get this one man I could have sworn to god that we had a movie that was just exactly like this, like, five years ago, maybe, but... What movie are you thinking of? I don't know, maybe, like, The Smurfs or something? Something with a hotel involved? Oh, yeah, definitely. That gives This gives off way Smurf vibes. I think this has huge Rocky and Bullwinkle energy. Yeah, Like, the live-action Rocky and Bullwinkle with Piper Parabu and Robert it, De Niro. Right. For anyone who hasn't seen this trailer, Tom and Jerry in it, they look real weird. It's like Roger Rabbit-esque, but like not as good. Well, they're they're 3D, though. They're not toons. I was going to say, they look like 
weird PS3 characters, kind of. It makes me sad that Chloe Grace Moretz has come to this, because I remember we said on the show not very long ago, why isn't she in things anymore, because she's good, and this is the kind of stuff that she's in now, I guess. <laughs> like, I love her, I think she's great, but yeah, man, this, uh, it was probably the price tag that got her involved. I mean, it's Tom and Jerry, I'm sure they're spending a grip ton of money on it, but it looks weird and rough, and it gave me mouse hunt vibes you remember mouse hunt do not trash hey, talk man. mouse hunt no no no, no, no. not in a bad way it's like hunt. the bad remake of mouse hunt in a hotel okay seamus we'll let you slide this time why can't they figure out what to do with tom and jerry they just keep remaking other movies and then sometimes tom and jerry pop it's the mickey mouse problem is really what it is they are so personalityless and archetypical that there's no easy way to extrapolate those themes into a feature film. It's just 20 minutes of cartoon violence. It's the Itchy you know, and Scratchy just, show. Like, yeah, it, it, that's exactly what it is. And granted, this trailer looks like they aren't holding back with the classic, you know, hot iron to the face and like getting crushed by various boulders or whatever, like getting hit by a bus and yeah. pancaked all I the way to New York. This. Tom and Jerry is about violence, and we're not going to hold back from that. But do you want to watch 90 minutes of that, though? That's what I was going to say. It's good in a 20-minute... Well, that's what we have the Chloe Grace Moret story. (laughs) She's like a hotel person or something. She's going to have a lot of pathos about her, like, bellhop job she's trying to keep. You think she's got an unemployed mom and a little brother at home or something going on? Oh, there it is. She's supporting a starving family and... She's got to kill that mouse if she wants to do it. How would you do a Tom and Jerry movie? Do you? Guys I wouldn't. I, I it doesn't. It's the, the premise <laughs> is too sweaty. Gun to my head, you do some kind of weird meta Looney Tunes back in action style thing. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Like, how do you Looney Tunes or how do you like Space Jam that? You do it where. Tom and Jerry just aren't popular anymore because they only have one thing and they have to team up to, like, do something else that's not being Tom and Jerry. Yeah, I guess it is just a lot like Looney Tunes back in action, but with no plot about a diamond. Or, you know, throw in a plot about a diamond. We've got Regina King's directorial debut, One Night in Miami. It has a trailer. It's also coming to Amazon Prime January 15th. It's about a night that Malcolm X... Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke spent together in Miami. I believe it's based off of a play. It looks like a good trailer to me. I have never seen better casting than Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cooke. I love Leslie Odom Jr. He's so good at everything he's in. I don't think there's much to say other than this looks good and I will see it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I'll definitely check this out. And then one last trailer for us today. The Snyder Cut, baby. Again, it's the same trailer. It always comes back, doesn't it? It really is the same trailer. I also really don't like that they keep using Hallelujah. I don't really understand the context for it. Is it literally a meta Hallelujah that Zack Snyder has come to save this movie? <laughs> I mean, I guess, right? Yeah, do you remember anything in that movie, Ricardo, that would warrant that song? It's gotta be just like a, this is what you've been asking for, you're welcome. We'll see if the Snyder Cut saves cinema. (laughs) We do have a firm release date for the new Scream film, Scream 5, which the title is just going to be Scream. 
a trend that I hate right yeah, now. I'm starting to hate Wait, that what? so much. I didn't realize that Scream 5 was doing that too. I let Halloween off the hook a little bit because the idea of it being just a sequel to the original Halloween kind of unified those two movies. Right, right. But if you're going to do a reboot, at least give it a subtitle. Or the title forever for this was Scream, but the S is a 5. What's wrong with that? Wait, is this a full reboot or a No, it's a sequel. sequel. It's Scream 5, except it's just called Scream. You said Halloween, it has a little more of a reasoning for doing that, but this is like, the first one is called Scream. I haven't seen a Scream movie past the first one. They get, they, they get really bad and then pretty good around Scream 4, so if they can, I liked Scream 4 a lot actually. I saw that in the theaters when it came out and bought tickets for Hop and then went into the Scream Theater. It was great. But this fifth one, I'm going to watch it no matter what. But Jesus, I, I don't have the highest hopes. There's talk that Timothy Chalamet may be Batman Beyond with Michael Keaton as old Batman in that uh, Flash thing that they're doing. He's got the chin for it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited enough to see Keaton back in this movie, but cramming in the idea of Batman Beyond into a movie that's not even a Batman movie sounds really weird to me. What do we think of Chalamet as Batman, other than the chin? Yeah, I don't know, man. Well, I assume he'd be playing Terry McGinnis, and he's not that bad of a choice, actually. I also haven't seen him act all that much. All I know about Timothy Chalamet is that he had sex with a peach, and that's about it. You didn't see Lady Bird? I didn't see Lady Bird. You gotta get on Lady Bird, Ricardo. I didn't see Lady Bird, but I did see Little Women. He just seems so soft and, like, fragile to me. That's what I'm feeling, is, like, he is a gentle... Like, he's a good actor for sure, but he... I feel like I only see him either, like, in a gentle demeanor or, like, emotionally broken down. Like, his his rage is, like, sadness, and it's not, like, Batman stuff. In my mind. He's really, really good and Beautiful Boy, which is a sad movie. And I agree with you, Seamus, that his intensity is not rage, it is sadness. Also, Terry McGinnis, from what I remember about Batman Beyond, is almost more of like a Spider-Man personality, where he's having more fun. A little quippy, he's fighting gangs, just riding around on a motorcycle, he's very cool and... Like you said, the little Spider-Man. I'm not super familiar with Batman Beyond, but yeah, from what I remember too, he was more kind of a snarky... We'll see if he can pull it off. You know, if they can nail the suit, maybe that will help. Just like every other piece of Batman casting for the history of Batman casting, we should hold off until a trailer, yeah, I'd say. truly. What we got up next, Garrett? Real quick, the video game Deathloop, which is the Groundhog Day-esque assassins stuck in a time loop video game otherwise known as any video game (laughs) is it still bill murray you want your open world groundhog day video game ricardo (laughs) yeah every day i learn a new task (laughs) and i don't get to finish the game until i get this woman uh deathloop has gotten its release date of may 21st 2021 which is Pretty far away considering how much gameplay I think they've already showcased in hyping up these next-gen consoles. Who's developing this one again? Bethesda is distributing. Arcane is doing the actual development. Who has done Dishonored? 
Well, I know Dishonored is like great. They got a sequel, and I I know people love those. And Bethesda doesn't often disappoint, so I'm I'm definitely going to be interested in seeing how this one plays out. And then speaking of next gen consoles, I have been playing my PlayStation 5. I've had it for almost a week now, and it's really solid. I know some people have been having certain glitches with their console not really restarting, going into sleep mode unexpectedly. My console's working like it should. The only problem is that it doesn't charge the controller when it's on rest mode, which it's supposed to, Mm. but it charges it when it's on, which means that that should be as simple as a software patch, I'd think. But so far, it's going really well. I've been playing Spider-Man Remastered, which came with my Miles Morales Deluxe Edition, which I haven't touched yet. I just beat the Spider-Man story, and I'm assuming we'll do a Spider-Man full main segment sometime whenever the full sequel to the game comes out. It ran like a dream. Loading times are non-existent. Truly, from booting up my console to playing in-game, it's like 10 seconds. Oh my god, that's nice. And as somebody who didn't have a PS4 at all, who's been on my PS3 this whole time, that's insane to me. It's like magic. (laughs) I've been hearing some of those stories of people just like getting bricked systems as soon as they like turn it off or like their data bank gets completely wiped when they put you know it on rest mode with a game running or something so i'm glad you're not having those like absolutely detrimental problems i'm, I'm glad to hear that it's working as it should i will say i am being careful i don't have any external storage hooked up right now which really i'm kind of shocked that i don't need any external storage because i have installed currently the completely digital copy of Spider-Man, Uncharted 4, Black Ops 3, Rainbow Six Siege, plus I have the discs installed for Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Spider-Man Miles Morales, and of course Disney Infinity 3.0. Wait, whoa, 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 hold on. You can run Disney Infinity on a PS5? I've got my PS4 Disney Infinity 3.0 disc running on my PS5. <laughs> I was... I'm glad to see you're sticking to your guns on that Disney Infinity. The once atrocious loading times are now slightly more bearable. (laughs) It is a magical thing. The future is now. So yeah, with all of that stuff, I still have like 60 gigs left on my console. So I'm not running any external storage right now. I'm turning all my games completely off before I go into rest mode. I've actually disabled rest mode for now because if I'm not charging my controller, I might as well just leave it on or off. So yeah, download, upload is, again, insane. Super responsive. I'm loving the DualSense controller with the haptic feedback. That, that is literally playing... the feature that I'm most excited for when I ever get mine, is the haptic feedback triggers. They just look unreal. Well, I'm sure you've heard this already, but the Astro's Playroom game that comes pre-installed on the PlayStation 5 is amazing. Oh, yeah, I have actually have heard that for a free, like... Here's how your controller works demo game. I've heard it's just, like, really solid. Like, I was expecting it to be cool, but it's really expansive. Like, there's several different worlds to explore. It's kind of PlayStation's answer to a Nintendo game in a lot of ways. Hmm. It's accessible, it's fun, it's a cute little world. The variety of worlds allow for the controller to do a lot of different things, which is fun. You know, like you have a bow and you could feel the bow tighten as you pull the trigger or you pull a lever on a slot machine and there's like a specific moment where there's a moment of tension and then release as you pull the rest of the trigger back. Oh, God, that's so cool. 
I'm really excited to keep playing around with it. I'll probably be back next week with thoughts on some of the other games as I try them out because I've mostly been playing Spider-Man Remastered. I'm working my way through the DLC right now, and I'm on Chapter 12 of Uncharted 4. So I'll probably have Uncharted finished by next week. Keep it coming with the updates, man. I want to hear I want to hear everything that you're loving about it cuz I know like you said that full generation gap of PlayStation's just has to be like a whole new world here. Well, I'm really excited to be able to play online with you guys, yes. you know. So for our main segment today, we're going to be covering the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, which premiered on Disney Plus earlier this week. What a blast I had watching this thing. (laughs) As of recording right now, actually yesterday we watched the original Holiday Special, which was very interesting, but I gotta say this new Lego one was, I was laughing a lot. A lot of these jokes were very fun. I understood every single reference that was made, I think. I think I'm going to be the first one brave enough to say this. This was better than episode nine. <laughs> yes! I... Oh yeah, most definitely. Canonically, in my head, this is episode Honestly, nine. yeah. It's it's so much fun. It actually kind of is a continuation past episode nine that makes sense, weirdly enough. Well, yeah, 100%, because Ray is training Finn... Which, there is an implication that he's potentially Force-sensitive in Force Awakens. Apparently, J.J. Abrams claims that the thing that Finn needs to tell Rey that we never get to hear is that he's Force-sensitive. Shut up, J.J. No, it wasn't. (laughs) Oh, God. I mean, I do think the implication is there because of other things that happen in the series. But I just don't understand... Oh, man. We're not here to dunk on Rise of Skywalker, though. We might still do that We're a little bit, to... talking about this Lego Star Wars. Oh, what? 100%, yeah. yeah. I watched this with my sister, and a big chunk of it, she couldn't fully get into it because it reminded her of Rise of Skywalker <laughs> oh, and how God. much she hated it. I mean, I would say this special does a little bit of dunking on Rise of Skywalker, to be oh, entirely yeah, honest. yeah, there are straight-up direct jabs at the plot of Rise of Skywalker. Including the fact that Palpatine shouldn't have been able to survive falling into the Death Star reactor <laughs> yes. core. Yeah, they keep talking about him like he died at that moment, but like, no, he didn't. Oh, man. What's so funny to me is that The Last Jedi, which people were calling for and calling for to be stricken from canon and all this stuff, those same people that liked The Rise of Skywalker, now Disney is treating Rise of Skywalker more or less like it didn't happen. Yeah, they never bring up uh, Granddaddy Palpatine whenever Ray. Yeah, and him I, that, that was interesting. Nope. Yeah, they really do act like he died on the Death Star, even when I think they briefly go to the Battle of Exegol in their yes, time do. travel shenanigans. We don't see any Palpy there. We don't have any reference to the fact that Ray and Kylo eventually team up to kill him. Nothing. They don't even really reference the fact that Ben Solo is dead. Yeah, they kind of, like, Ray does a, like, Ben, who, who is Ben? That's that's a funny joke, but, like, you just kind of touch that they know each other in an okay light in general, and that's about it. So, let's talk plot, the very little that there is. So, it's Life Day, and we're all hanging out on the Millennium Falcon. Chewbacca's family, they're coming for Life Day, and Finn and Poe are planning this big holiday party. Ray is frustrated by her inability to train Finn properly as a Jedi, and so goes off 
using the sacred Jedi texts in search of an old forgotten Jedi temple that apparently has access to the world between worlds, which is like Star Wars's way of time traveling, except this works way differently than we ever see that work. Yeah, this is a concept brought up in Rebels, I believe. I never yes. made it that far into I mean, Rebels to get that, so... It's alluded to in Clone Wars as well, but not explicitly mentioned. And it doesn't work like a like a Scooby-Doo sequence where they're running in and out of doors with each other in the Rebels? It's not like that? Well, in Rebels, the implication is that there are points in time and space that are connected because they are strong with the Force. So that, like, often Jedi or Sith temples could potentially have access to this world between worlds because it's like a convergence in the Force. So it's not really a way of time traveling as much as it is a way of observing other moments in time, in space. And you are not able to, like, just transfer through your Lego Dimensions portal (laughs) at will with your magic diamond. It's a Lego Star Wars special, so I'm, just like all the Lego Star Wars content, I'm assuming it's a very loose interpretation of what is actually supposed to be happening in, like, quote-unquote canon. But also, who cares? Yeah, we're not getting episode 10 with the crystal of time travel or nothing, so... I think that probably broad strokes, yeah, Ray's training Finn, and she had some kind of world-between-worlds experience, but it wasn't probably so... Goofy. We get all the Obi-Wans together to say hello there. That was the best. (laughs) Ugh. It's all Star Wars memes in this. Yeah, it really is. Also, not to mention the fact that multiple things that we talked about on our commentary ended up being important in this, which is so weird. Max Rebo. Max Rebo (laughs) telling Poe that the rest of his band members died on Jabba's (laughs) Sail Punch. It's so funny. And somehow, someway, McClunky... Made its way back. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. clunky. So is that Greedo? It looks like is him. He's in like, the vest. What's, it's a Rodian that looks exactly like Greedo that's there. Itchy, Mala, yes. and Lumpy are there. They never call them by Sadly. name. It's just a vague Chewbacca's family But deal. clearly modeled after the old original. Yes, very transparently. Uh, did you guys have any other favorite... Little Star Wars moments. Ooh, the blue milk carton. Kylo Ren. Everything. All that Kylo Ren Kylo stuff Ren. was very funny. That's where you really know that Disney what? is like leaning into the I don't know the weird atmosphere around those movies. It's like yeah, let's joke about him being shirtless. Yeah, let's joke about him being a weird fanboy for Vader. Well, not to mention the fact that they openly mock the idea of him getting his helmet yeah. back. And they openly mock the idea of Starkiller Base multiple times. There. Palpatine was like, he really was like the Seth MacFarlane robot chicken style emperor. Which is kind of how he is, I think, in all of the Lego Star Wars content. Oh, I mean, I this is the first Lego Star Wars thing I've seen with like words in it. Like my Lego Star Wars was like weird grunts and like gestures. It's a very interesting subgenre of Star Wars content. I've seen very little of it. Though I hear Freemaker Adventures is supposed to be okay, and it has a lot of, like, Rebels characters in it and stuff. So I'll probably check that out at some point. But I think that that is where a lot of the characterization of the Emperor is coming from, is that, like, Freemaker Adventures Emperor. And so yeah, I really enjoyed this, and I didn't think it was 
everything it could have been, but I also didn't need it to be anything, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I kind a lot of laughs, very fun, didn't need to be super serious or anything. I like the idea that we could potentially get more Life Day specials. I would enjoy that. Yeah, I hope so. I mean... What'd you guys think of our brief, brief Mandalorian moment? Yes, I loved that. Baby Yoda using the Force to make Rey and Darth Vader time travel? Canon, I'm calling it. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Is that, are we supposed to take it literally that Rey really went to all of these places in Star Wars canon through time travel? Or is it more like... She got to see moments from Star Wars past, but this is how they're choosing to, like, sillily display it in Lego it's, form. It's probably that. I mean, she does interact with, like, young, <laughs> That's true, with the blue milk carton Luke. also making me laugh. Which is going to be, if you pre-order the deluxe edition of the Lego Skywalker Saga, you get that minifigure of Luke <laughs> with his blue milk carton and his blue That's milk so mustache. That's so funny. Plus, if you buy the advent calendar this year, the Lego Star Wars advent calendar, you get... Poe Dameron in his Life Day sweater and Darth Vader in his Life That's Day sweater. That's pretty great. This is going to be a weird transition, but can we talk about the skin? The what Lego about, texture skin? plastic skin? Yeah, it looks like Legos. We were... That wasn't at all distracting to you? Me and Seamus had like a whole conversation about it. No, I mean, I looked like Lego. Like it, that's how the Lego movie looks. That's what we were looks. saying. Like the Lego movie is like. I was just kind of saying, like, why isn't every Lego thing Lego movie style with like semi weird stop motiony universe of like Legos are real Legos in a human world? There's like a thumbprint on Emmett's face in the Lego movie, and like this is like still a full cartoon, but it's plastic Lego. I don't know. I mean, why is there Lego Star Wars content at all? Because they're <laughs> popular brands that make money. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I don't know. I was just more distracted by, I don't think I've ever seen a Lego that high res. Like, I don't think the Lego movie characters look like that. Like, I don't know. They just look really weird to me. It's that they are very detailed and well rendered, but they're not in a realistic environment. So it feels like there's a disconnect with like the way the Lego movie feels like it's all stop motion Lego. Whereas this feels like a standard cartoon, but with high res Lego. It was that and Ray's voice that kept throwing me out. <laughs> it didn't bother me that much. You had kind of prepped us for that and it didn't. I was like, okay, I could get over this. I mean, it wasn't as distracting as... It could have been, because you really only notice it when they do, like, the dramatic Lego close-ups. But I think the voices definitely did distract me more. Okay, with the Anthony Daniels reprised his role. Billy D. Williams. Kelly Marie Tran. Is that it? Yes? See, I, I mean, I think there's not much left to say about the special other than it was a good time. Yeah, it was very funny. Like I said, every time jump is basically just what meme of this scene can we do? Mustafar fight. Hate leads to anger. I know what hate leads to. Very funny. Pod <laughs> racing. It, it was all funny stuff. All fun. Yeah, this will wash the taste of episode 9 out of your mouth. So yeah, should we, should we move on, boys? Yeah, I guess so. This was like the shortest main segment we've ever had. There wasn't much yeah, to I... discuss, really. One last thing. If they don't have that Galaxy's Best Emperor Lego mug at the gift shops at Batu in Disney. I clocked that as yeah, well. Yeah, Batu <laughs> That's gotta be legit yeah. product placement of like, hey, if you like this goofy mug that the Emperor hates, we'll definitely have it for sale at Disney. Do you want it to be 
the a Lego mug, or do you want it to be like a realistic? I would mug? say Lego mug because I think it would be funny to have the Lego one. But I, I I would definitely laugh a lot if there was like a smiling picture of Ian McDermott on the side of an Arabesh Galaxy's Best Ever mug. I love it. I it, like it was just fun. It really was just fun. Now it's time for our pop culture reference to the episode where we're going to be breaking down the long history and lasting impact of the Star Wars 1978 holiday special. Probably the most universally hated Star Wars property ever to exist. Yeah, and we, we recently came off watching it uh, the other day. Yes, we have a audio commentary that we're still figuring out exactly how we're going to distribute, but we're definitely going to have a highlight reel up on youtube over the next couple weeks so keep an eye out for that and seamus this was your first experience with the holiday special yeah it's notorious it's infamous i guess is the best way to say it it was originally broadcasted on television only once because of the just the horrified reactions of everybody who saw it and i've been successfully avoiding it because of its reputation for the last 22 years as a star wars fan and it lived up to the absolute reputation that uh, anybody would at least have a peripheral knowledge of. The history of it is very interesting. CBS in 1978 approached 20th Century Fox about doing some kind of television special for Star Wars because Star Wars was so successful that year. They went to George Lucas and George Lucas met with CBS execs and pitched this whole world. He said it was the Star Wars version of (laughs) Rosh Hashanah, Life Day, that would be celebrated by Chewbacca's family, and it was Lucas's idea to have it predominantly set on the Wookiee planet with no dialogue. Oh no, George. <laughs> now, it does sound like he had more ambition with what kind of visual storytelling would be going on, but that eventually just evolved into what we get in the special, which is a bunch of people in Wookiee costumes doing boring chores and watching a bunch of different (laughs) media screens. that's really the long and short of it. I think the reason its legacy is so long-lasting is because of how notoriously difficult it is to find. I think if there hadn't been decades of Star Wars nerds trying desperately to get their hands on a copy, that it probably wouldn't have the same kind of notoriety that it does. But... As it exists today, the public only has access to VHS rips from its initial 1978 broadcast. Now, there are high-definition transfers of it somewhere in the Lucasfilm archives, because Ken Burns was given access to them when he made his Empire of Dreams documentary, although the segment that that would have been in got cut. In addition, on the 2011 Blu-ray release of the Star Wars saga, they have the Boba Fett cartoon segment in high definition, because the Star Wars Holiday Special marks the first public appearance of Boba Fett in a Star Wars property. It was also the only thing in that entire special worth a damn to, you know, re-release in any way, so I guess that makes sense. It's a very interesting history that goes along with the Star Wars Holiday Special, and you see it referenced quite a lot, not only in contemporary Star Wars content, as we just saw with our main segment, the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, but just in popular culture as a whole, as this kind of infamous, weird, bad, failing early on in what is now the most successful franchise pretty much of all time. Yeah, it's remained popular just because people, it's almost like they just like to look at it in awe, just like, wow, (laughs) this is horrible. Absolutely. 
And I would say, for most people, it's worth being vaguely educated on, but it's definitely not worth sitting through unless you're watching, like, with friends or some kind of commentary, because you're just going to be really bored if you just sit down to watch it alone. sure. If you try watching this alone, you're in for a really rough time. So yeah, that's our reference on the Star Wars Holiday Special. Put it on Disney (laughs) Plus, you cowards. And keep your eyes out for our commentary highlights coming up on our YouTube channel. And if we figure out a way to distribute the actual audio commentary, we'll be sure to update you on that. But now, let's move on to Pop Quiz. Pop, 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 quiz. You boys ready to face off again? Face off. Great movie. Ricardo, I believe it's your pick for for a question this week. Red. You guys are tied one to one, and as you guys at home know already from the last couple weeks, whoever missed the question last week, the loser of last week's segment, gets to pick between the two categories that I've chosen for today. Ricardo, are you ready to hear them? Lay it on me. Would you rather answer a question about Kelsey Grammer or Life Day. I'm gonna oh I'm gonna go with the Kells. Okay. Remember, it's whoever answers correctly first. And if neither of you can get it, or you say it at the exact same time, the tiebreaker will be the second question. Who played opposite Kelsey Grammer as the co-lead of his last sitcom, Proven Innocent? Oh, damn it. I want to say Kristen Bell, but I know that's Ooh. wrong because he was in that movie with her. It was from 2014. That was the last time that Kelsey Grammer was a lead on a sitcom. I'm going to call it, guys. We are stuck. It is Martin Lawrence. That is insane that I didn't even know this show existed. I thought maybe you guys would have enough Kelsey Grammer love that you would have been aware of such a weird property. All right, you guys ready for your tiebreaker question? Look stupid again. Let's hear it. The category is Life Day. What is the real-world date for Life Day? November 17th. Yep, Ricardo got it. I tripped myself up (laughs) by, I was about to say, 11-17, and then, ah. If you just been a second quicker... face. Well, Ricardo... If there's one thing I know, (laughs) it's Wookiee Holidays. Well, I won't soon forget this, Ricardo. You're up, you're up two to one. Winner gets Garrett's PS5, and let me tell you, I'm not gonna lose that fight. (laughs) (laughs) welcome back to mando bros where we break down the latest episode of the mandalorian this is chapter 12 the siege which i think is a rather ambitious title for the smaller scale of this episode (laughs) i was gonna say the exact same thing actually um coming hot off the heels of last week's episode with the big bo katan revealing that Ahsoka Tano is part of the next step of this journey, I was expecting a little more sieging of importance, I guess. And I thought this episode was pretty good, but it did feel like it slammed on the brakes a little bit in terms of the momentum that we built up from last episode. You're not wrong there. It's not to say I didn't thoroughly enjoy it all, of course. There is an interesting tease at the end of this episode, too, that I think might get us going a little bit more now that we saw some old familiar faces in this in this one basically i don't think it's a major spoiler but there's no way to talk about the actual meat of this episode without giving some kind of light spoiler warning we can we can go into that because we return this episode to navarro so mando can get some repairs 
So we're back with our old friends, Grief Karga and Kara Dune. And the blue guy from the first episode, I guess, is back. I'm glad he was back for this episode, because he is actually... He's the one who brings up Life Day in the first episode. Yes, he is. So that's fitting for today's festivities. Maybe they planned that. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. But I will say, I was a little underwhelmed by the plot of this episode. It was just kind of, we gotta go, while the Razorcrest is under repairs, kill some stormtroopers. Was really like they, They're gonna blow up the base of the remaining Imperials on Navarro. Yeah, it kind of seemed like, like you said, it's a little, it's a lot of a long walk for what seems like the whole point of this episode was us getting more direct hints about what the Empire was doing with the child and the experiments that were going on regarding, I don't know, a lot of stuff that, are we officially in spoilers? Yeah, I think we're just in spoilers, period, because... They bring up midichlorians... An M count, Seamus. They didn't say the M word. (laughs) They definitely made sure not to trigger any survivors of the initial release of A Phantom Menace, but we all know what they were talking about. So they were extracting blood from the child. Yeah, it seems like they're doing, like, transfusions to try to transfer force energy. Which kind of makes sense, except it's deforming all of these... People, I think maybe they're, it seemed almost like they're simultaneously experimenting on living creatures and maybe also trying to clone. Is that kind some of those bodies looked like they were like growing limbs that hadn't finished growing yet? Yeah, it could be a cloning thing. It could be like a, maybe a force healing thing they're trying to experiment with. Maybe. That could be interesting. Since we know that the child is very adept in that already, but they don't give us too much info besides a small hologram message from Dr. Pershing about, like we said, M counts, blood transfusions, and how they need the child, basically, to continue whatever research that they were doing. And if we bump over to the very end of the episode for a moment, on Moff Gideon's not-Star Destroyer that looks an awful lot like a Star Destroyer, (laughs) right? he has some kind of foggy, almost maybe cryogenic hall where it looks like there's a lot of it looked to me like death trooper armor it kind of looked like that to me too but i almost wonder there seems obviously to be something very special about them i'm wondering maybe if it's more of an inquisitor thing Ooh, that could be interesting that they're gonna pull out some uh purple electric rods that can mess up a lightsaber or something I was wondering if it was maybe going that that's a hall of arms for their genetically modified force-sensitive soldiers that they're trying to build. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I could definitely see that. They might be one in the same, perhaps. Maybe they're going to connect Inquisitors into the live-action Mando here by saying that the current-day Empire at the time is trying to use this cloning technology to make more stronger inquisitors well on rebels we do learn that the old like vader's inquisitors are comprised at least partially of fallen jedi so the idea of an inquisitor being at least force sensitive is not a new concept for sure so i think you're on the right track there and i know that you have acquired 
Jedi Fallen Order but not have delved into it yet, they definitely go into a lot more of that background stuff for that as well in, in that story. So Yeah, I'm really excited to play it. We got some really quality Baby Yoda moments this episode. Somebody clearly watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 right before <laughs> <Yeah>. writing this. <laughs> My thoughts exactly. Because you've got the very beginning... I think is tremendous. The cold open of this episode is Baby Yoda is small enough to get inside the wiring of the Razor Crest, <laughs> yeah. but won't follow Mando's instructions. Or can't understand them. Either way, he zaps himself in a very funny way. It's like, that was truly the most Muppet moment on the show <laughs> yeah. so far. <laughs> You're, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And then they stick him in... The cantina where the shootout with the death troopers from last season happened that's been converted into a school. Yeah, it's all cleaned up looking. I didn't realize there were so many kids in that town to begin with, but uh, they've got a protocol droid teacher. Yeah, they've got like a Geonosis Brown protocol droid. There's a lot of school talk this season because they have the very quintessentially Western heaven forbid they come for the school from Timothy Oliphant the first episode. (laughs) And I think that's interesting that they're leaning into that Western trope yet again. But Baby Yoda steals some poor kids' cookies. They're like macaroons. (laughs) Yeah, oh, that's like, yeah. There's no Star Wars food disguise on that. They're just blue macaroons. They're in like a Thin Mint sleeve, though. No, that's, that's the future. Silver paper. They do love to put food in silver paper in Star Wars. That is their favorite thing. <laughs> also, if we're talking Baby Yoda moments, him having a blast on the Razor Crest, like free falling. Yeah, literally with his hands in the air like he's on a roller yeah. coaster. Adorable. Which, which ends in both a payoff to the cookies from earlier, but also <laughs> in our second Guardians of the Galaxy-esque moment. Where he vomits once the excitement yeah. is over. Very cute. Very gross looking. What does Mando say? He's got some onboard maintenance to take care of. Oh yeah, so, something like that. Yeah, he just kind of leaves Navarro after that. He doesn't really stick around Mm-mm. at all, huh? Leaving Karga and Kara to their own devices to cover for him with the New Republic, who we see the X-Wing pilot, the one who's Kim's not Dave Filoni. Yeah, Kim's Convenience. That's the only thing I know him as. He gives a pretty sad, like, I'm sorry for your loss, Alderaan talk with Kara. I'm so curious about where this Kara stuff is going, because there's some speculation that maybe either the character's not going to be on the show anymore, or Gina Carano's going to get replaced after some pretty offensive social media behavior regarding trans people. Oh, gosh, I didn't hear that part. I just heard the part about how she's under fire right now for allegedly being anti-mask for this. Yes, she is that, too, which is not great. Um, Hmm. I'll give a very extremely brief summary of what happened. On social media, Pedro Pascal on Twitter put his pronouns in his bio in solidarity with the trans and non-binary community. And in response to that, Gina Carano put in her bio on Twitter, like, beep bop boop, instead of actual hmm. pronouns, and was like, D- doesn't anybody know how to take a joke? It's, it's, political correctness has gone too far. Uh, huh, I didn't hear that part, Garrett. That definitely leaves kind of a bad taste in my mouth, especially with the anti-mask stuff as well. 
Yeah, it's not great, and uh, that's a shame because I think she's a pretty compelling character, and I yeah, like I think her performance is good, but that is not cool. We'll just have to see what happens with that. But I am just in terms of an in-universe narrative world. I'm very interested to see where that goes because she's very adamant that she has no interest in being a part of the New Republic. Right, yeah. That she's a soldier. She's not in peacetime because obviously there's the brewing of the First Order out on the Outer Rim is what we're looking at right now, I think. But she doesn't know how to be a peacetime soldier. Whatever they're going to do with it, it's it's going to be interesting. I, for some reason, have a feeling she might be a going out in a blaze of glory type character, like a all hold them back or all blow up the bomb, whatever maybe. I could definitely see that, especially if we get put in some kind of position, maybe. I feel like the end of the season is building towards what we kind of did last season, which is we're going to have the big gang together to fight Moff Gideon. <laughs> and if it ends up being these New Republic X-Wing pilots that keep popping up, that are in some capacity involved in the finale, it wouldn't surprise me if she ended up sacrificing herself to save the New Republic or something. I would love to see a team-up. We've got Bo-Katan and the Night Owls from last episode, Timothy Oliphant, our friends from Navarro, of course, and the X-Wing pilots. That's a pretty solid roster. Like, that is... That's like a magnificent however many people that is, for sure. If we were lucky enough to get Ahsoka to stick around for more than one episode, that'd really be (laughs) stacked. Ooh, boy. Yeah, we'll see. God knows how many episodes it's really going to take to get to Ahsoka, but... I really hope we see her next episode, because I'm going to get annoyed if we have to keep doing side quests. Yeah, I think that either follow through on more of the Boba stuff from the first episode, or really let's get going on Ahsoka, or do them both. Do them both and do them for most of the episodes, and then that'll be interesting as hell. This was a pretty good episode. Carl Weathers directed, did a yeah. good job. Shout out Carl Weathers directing. I was I was happy with the amount of grief cargo that we got in this. It was it was plenty of grief. You gotta love him. But shall we move on to Rec Center, Seamus? Let's do it. Alright, now it's time to save the Rec Center, where we give you a recommendation for the week. Seamus, what do you got for us? I'm a little late to the game on this one. I just discovered who Todrick Hall is. He's a very, very fun musician. I recently watched his visual album Straight Outta Oz. There's been a trend, an uptick in visual albums these days, and I've been, you know, trying to keep up on on that stuff because usually it's very interesting to see what a musical artist has to do with a way more visual medium like that. And This one's from 2016, but it's semi-autobiographical about his life growing up in Texas as a young gay black man growing up to move to, you know, L.A., New York, trying to make it in his career. Very good music, very genuine. It feels like sometimes visual albums these days aren't as genuine. This felt very real. I actually discovered him through a parody version of All That Jazz from Chicago entitled All That Ass, and it's very... It's very funny a lot of the times, and it's very deep a lot of the other times, so... Todrick Hall, man. Check him out. I will have to check him out. That sounds fascinating, and that's somebody who I've literally never heard of. Yeah, man. Like I said, I'm a little late to the game. He's still making stuff now, but this is what's getting me into him right now. 
Well, I'll run and look into that. That's awesome. <laughs> right on. For my rec center, I know I already plugged it on the show earlier. I've been playing through it on my new PS5, but Marvel's Spider-Man for PS4, or if you could get the remaster for PS5, I think it's really good. I really, really was invested in the story, and it honestly felt like a definitive version of all of these iconic Spider-Man characters for me. You know, I love Spider-Verse. I love Spider-Man 2. I think the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies are really great. But it just feels so pure to the spirit of every single one of those characters without being beholden to the comics or any particular filmic adaptation. I was really impressed with it. I played it a couple times, you know, at Ricardo's house or my uncle's house or whatever, but it was really nice to just sit through and play just by myself on my own console. I will say... The remaster does have the slight edge on the PS4 version in terms of both loading times, and in the original version, Peter Parker is kind of cursed in that he looks like a mixture of Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland, and Andrew Garfield. <laughs> he still, in this new one, looks more like Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield, but they were able to fix the way his face looks so that it's not so uncanny valley. And so I do think that if you're trying to decide between just playing the PS4 version, if you have access to a PS5 for the remaster, I would go with that one. You're not wrong on anything you just said. It's, in a lot of ways, very reminiscent of, like, the Arkham series, where, like you said, it is, like, the definitive of everything that that character really feels like, so... It's clearly taken a lot of influence from the Arkham games, and again, we'll do an episode on this game at some point. Absolutely. Because it's really terrific, and there's a lot to dive into with the characters, the story, the gameplay. But it just is, it's a zinger, man. It's great. Ricardo, what do you have this week for the Rec Center? All right, my Rec Center this week is going to be a new Netflix sketch show, Auntie Donna's Big Ol' House of Fun. It's uh, from an Australian sketch troupe. I've only seen the first three episodes there are six right now <laughs> and it's so funny you guys and they do it so well <laughs> it's on netflix right now six episodes check it out so yeah that wraps us up for this week's episode of pop culture reference if you want to reach the pod you can tweet us at pcr underscore podcast find us at that handle on instagram or email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com make sure to check out our youtube channel and if you're watching on youtube Please give us a like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Plus, we're putting out more and more YouTube-exclusive content all the time, so you don't want to miss that. Next week, we're going to be talking about possibly our Jump the Shark moment, Citizen Kane. So, get hyped. Seamus, as a film studies major, I'm expecting you to bring the big guns on this one. I've never seen it, and I'm, I'm going to get pancaked by this one. Everybody, we'll see you next week. Adios. Adios.